Well, um, wow, what a great morning so far. I'm excited to be in the Word of God with you this morning in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. If you recall from last week, just a quick review of chapter 1. Chapter 1 speaks of the infinite worthiness, the greatness, the grandeur, the splendor, the awesomeness, give whatever adjective you want, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 gives us a sevenfold uh, description of our Lord. It says he has been appointed heir of all things. It is through Jesus that, he, that, that the world was made. Jesus is the brightness of the very glory of God, the express image of his person. Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. He himself purged our sins through his death on the cross. And then through his resurrection and ascension, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There, was, there is no one greater. There is no one more high. There is no one more awesome and incredible than Jesus Christ. He is the only and the ultimate. He is the one who deserves all preeminence in the church. And then last Sunday night, I spoke about the rest of Hebrews 1, which speaks about how Jesus is greater than the angels. That's an obvious duh. Of course, he's greater than the angels, but that has to be proven from the scriptures for us to get today's message. So what do we know about Jesus? In what way is he greater than angels? To no angel did God the Father say, today you are my son, um, I have begotten you, meaning that God became flesh. He was incarnated. Jesus took upon himself human flesh. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. No other no angel could do that. That is strictly what God did as he became man. Then Jesus is going to sit on an earthly human throne, the throne of David over Israel. He's going to come in his second power and glory, and every angel will worship Jesus. Jesus is that much greater, higher, and purer. All angels will worship Jesus at the second coming. When Jesus establishes his millennial kingdom, this is going to be a key role for the message today. After the second coming, Jesus will establish his throne in Israel, in Jerusalem, over this current earth. This earth will be regenerated, and Jesus will rule and reign for 1,000 years. No angel will rule. Jesus will rule. At the end of the 1,000 years, all of the heavens and earth will fold up like an old garment. It will burn up and melt with fervent heat, and all the unsaved dead will, will stand before Jesus as he sits on a great white throne, and he will cast them into a lake of fire forever. I mean, this is the Lord Jesus. This is how great he is. All of history is about him, past, present, and future. I can't even, I can't even go, I could go on and on and on about his worth and his, and his value and how incredible he is, but that's what Hebrews 1 is all about. Well, let's pray. I'm going to have you turn to uh, an Old Testament text first, and then we'll get into two points. The first point is, do not drift, do not neglect such a great salvation. Because how would you escape? You'll escape. How could you escape something if you do? We'll talk about that. And then secondly, what is this great salvation that God has done for us that you are not to drift from or neglect? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you now and ask for you through the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to the scriptures, to divine truth, to your authority in our lives. Oh, Father, I pray that we would pay attention. There's so many distractions. We're not used to sitting and paying attention for a long period of time. Everything is bursts of this and that for seconds on social media and videos and screens and 
and even the news on the TV, just everything is in 80 seconds or less. But now we need to really pay attention for a period of time to really understand what we are not to drift or neglect and, and uh, what the consequences of that might be. So thank you for giving us your word and the spirit of God. Thank you for giving us attentive minds and hearts that you might work your glory and honor in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Genesis 1, please. To set up the whole morning message, we need to go to Genesis 1. You need to remember this text. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Five days of creation have taken place. 24-hour literal days of creation have taken place. And now on the sixth day, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The triune God intends to make mankind. He's going to make them male and female, and in verse 26, he, they discuss prior to Adam's even being, being formed out of the dust of the earth that man is going to have dominion. This word dominion, it means to tread upon, to dominate, to subjugate, to be over. And, and man is to be over the earth and the created things on the earth, which is why you have plants in your house. You have plants in your house. You bring vegetation from outside inside. Do you understand? That's weird. It's, it's outside. They grow outside. But you put them in in little pots and little gardens. Why? Why? Because you want to dominate and you want to, sub, you want to have subject to you the plant life. Why do you bring animals into your house? Little dogs and cats and, and hamsters and things like, like this, creeping things. Why? Because in Genesis 1.26, God put it in the heart of man to rule, to rule over the things of the earth, the fish of the sea. You have aquariums. You've got fish of the sea, ca- cattle. Well, you might bring a pig or a, a cow into your house if you want, whatever you want for a pet. But it's in, it's in our heart to do these types of things. Why do we have zoos? We pen up all sorts of wild animals and we put barriers, but then we get to pay money and walk through them and ooh and ah at all of the animal kingdom that is behind in cages lest they devour us. Why? Because it's in our heart to to dominate, to tread over, and to subdue. God put that in Adam because that was Adam's responsibility. Look at verse 28. Then God blessed them. Now he's created them. God blessed them and said to them, now they're, they're alive. They're created, Adam and Eve, right in front of them. And he said to them, be, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. This Hebrew word subdue, it's kabosh. Do you ever say, I'll put the kabosh on that. You ever say that word kabosh? It's a Hebrew word right out of Genesis. And it means to, to um, subdue. To bring under your rule, I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to, I'm going to tread on it. I'm going to subdue it. I'm going to hold it in its place. Be, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, again, to tread upon and subjugate over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living thing. Again, this is what man is supposed to do, is to rule over the earth. God is the ruler, and now he's dedicate, de- delegated authority to Adam and Eve. We know Adam and Eve lost it. When they sinned against God, when Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and when Adam ate of it, they lost their delegated authority over the earth. And Satan received it. The Bible calls Satan the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. 
Since, Ad, since Satan got Adam and Eve to rebel against God, now, now, now Satan runs the course of this world. He has the authority over the affairs of this world. He's in charge of Washington, D.C. and the Kremlin and North Korea, and, and he's playing his little game down here with authority. What we need is we need somebody to take back the authority of the earth from Satan. But it's got to be a man but it can't be anybody of the race of Adam because we're all sinners and we have all sinned against God. We need a man who hasn't sinned that can somehow take back dominion of the world. And who is it? Jesus Christ. He's the one. And that's what Hebrews 2 is all about, this great salvation. So let's go back to Hebrews 2 and now we'll dig in. My first point is pretty easy. Two points. My first point, don't drift, don't neglect the great salvation that's been given to you. Here we go. Uh, verse 1. Therefore, because of the awesome, infinite worth of Christ revealed in chapter 1, therefore, we must, we must, it's not optional, people, we must give the more earnest heed. This word, the more earnest heed, it's a nautical word. It's a, it's a shipping word. It's a word that you would use on the waters. It literally means to, um, to be anchored, to be... Um, to pay attention, to take it all in, to hold tight to it. It's, it's, a, it's a very strong word. We must give the more earnest heed. It's a devotion of thought. It's a capturing of your mind. It's a full attention, which means if you're going to give full attention to something that God is going to tell us, it means you can't give attention to something else. True? Is that true? If you're going to give attention to what God is asking us to give attention to, to drop an anchor on, to grasp and bring close to our mind, to hold firmly and not let go. It means there's other things we're going to have to let go and not pay so much attention to. You, you, I'm making myself clear, aren't I? Okay, so now you've got some choices to make. You have choices what to do with your time. Are you going to give attention to something that the world elevates and desires and loves? Or are you going to give something that, that gives God the glory? Something about this great salvation that you can give attention to and take heed to and capture your mind with and drop your anchor on. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. We just heard about the magnitude and magnificence of Christ. Lest we drift away. Now, this is another nautical word. I remember growing up on Whiteface Reservoir. Our family cabin was there. And we would love to get into our canoe or onto a raft or an inner tube and then just go out to the, the lake. And the lake was super calm. And then we would just be, well, I'd be reading a book. It would get wet, but I'd be reading a book because I'm a reader. And um, I would look up and like, like 20 minutes or half an hour has gone by. And where, are, where am I? I've drifted far from the dock, and now i got to paddle, and i got to work, and then the wind comes up, and the current is against me, and it's like, man, it's, a, it's, a, it's hard to get back to your dock once you've drifted. And the issue is, don't drift from the great salvation that God has provided for you through Jesus, because when you do, it's a hard course to come back. It is. It's a hard course to come back, and a lot of people don't want to put that into it to make make amends and to confess your sin and to be right with the Lord and to be back in fellowship. It's just not an easy route. So don't start the drift. Don't start the drift. Verse 2, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, 
and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Ah, see where the angels come in? Is Jesus far, far infinitely greater than angels? Yes or no? Yeah, okay, come on. Is Jesus far more infinitely greater than all the angels? Yes, amen. So if whatever the angels spoke, whatever the angels said, if that proved steadfast, and every transgression, every deliberate violation against the angel's word, and every disobedient act against the angel's word, if that received a just reward, a just punishment, if that's true for angel's words, then how much more when we have actually heard the word of Christ? You understand? Okay, what angel's word is it? Well, in Galatians 3.19 and Acts chapter 7, the Bible tells us that the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai was mediated through angels. God wrote them on the tablets of stone with his finger, but somehow the transmission of the Ten Commandments was from God through angels as a mediating uh, group to Moses. So the word of the angels is the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Take your Bibles. You need to see this because I want you to take it seriously. Hold your place there in Hebrews and go to Numbers 15. Numbers 15. I want to show you how serious God took his, the angel's word back in the Old Testament. Now, again, we're not under the law. Praise God. We're not under the law because the law has no power to change or transform. All the law does is finds us guilty and condemns us. So we're not under the law. But you want to you know how sure and steadfast the law was that the angels gave to Moses? That God gave to Moses through the angels? Here it is, Numbers 15, verse 32. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. The fourth commandment, you shall honor, you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. No work was to be performed on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. The Sabbath is a Saturday. It is the day of rest for Israel. Now, here is a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and everybody's in a quandary. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's a man gathering sticks. Is that right or wrong? Should he be doing that? Should he not be doing that? Moses, what do we do with a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath? Is that breaking the, ten the fourth commandment or not? Well, verse 33 uh, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard. They locked him up. They put him in prison because they don't know what to do. What do we do with such a man who just break? Come on. Now, please, look at me with reasoning eyes and, and hearts and minds, everybody. Is gathering sticks a big deal? I mean, is it really a big deal? Come on. You're not like... You're not abusing your wife. You're not abusing children. You're not, you're not like murdering people. You're not, you're not doing all sorts of wicked, evil things. You're just gathering sticks. We do this all the time to get kindling for the fire. But wait a minute. Was, is it a violation of the fourth commandment? Verse 34, they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Nobody had a word from God about what to do. Verse 35, the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. Oh. God said, the, kill the man. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. His wife, his children, his grandchildren, his aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, and the whole congregation is to stone this man who's gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Do you think that the angel's word, the Ten Commandments, given through angels, proves steadfast? Yes. 
was every act of disobedience and transgression against the angel's word, did it receive a just punishment, in this case, the stoning of a man outside the camp? Yes, that is how steadfast and sure the angel's word was. Now, if the angels are down here and Jesus is up here, how much more important is Jesus' word? Infinitely important. Do you all agree with me? If we're going to listen to the gospel about Jesus, of Jesus Christ for the church age and for all ages, but for us in the church age, if the angel's word or the law in the days of Moses was that important, how much more for you and I in the church age? Now, whatever's going to happen in the rest of the message, don't drift and don't neglect whatever God says. You will do so to your peril. You will not lose your salvation but you will lose the rewards that go with it. You'll lose the joy of self, your, your salvation. You'll, you, you'll lose your fellowship with God, not your relationship. You're eternally secure, but you'll, you'll lose the fellowship, the joy, the peace, the blessing, and the rewards of God. And it's a big deal. I am preparing you right now this morning for eternity. All right, well, let's go on. They did stone that man, by the way. Hebrews 2. So, Now you see the importance of verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels, the Ten Commandments, even the Sabbath commandment, proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward or a just punishment, how shall we escape? I'll tell you something right now, everybody. Write it in your Bibles, in your notebook. You won't escape. You drift from the great salvation and you neglect the great salvation provided by Jesus, you will not escape. If you're an unbeliever... You'll not escape the punishment and you will go to hell, a lake of fire. You will. I'm telling you right now, if you don't put your faith in Jesus alone, if you're trusting your works and religion and other things you have done and add and, and contributed, the Bible says you will perish in a lake of fire. You will not escape. Those people at the great white throne, they're going to beg to be out. They're going to be like, no, no, no. We were in Hades in torments. We don't want to go to the lake of fire. And they're going to beg and beg and plead, and there's going to be tears. No, no, no. And Jesus will say, you had your chance, you had your opportunity to believe, and you did not. You would not. How shall we escape? For the believer in the context of the, if you drift or neglect the great salvation provided by Jesus, you you don't go to the lake of fire and you don't get punished. You get disciplined. You cannot escape the discipline of God. Any good father is going to discipline their wayward children. And if you drift or neglect what God has said in his word, he will spank you, he will discipline you, and you will not escape that. That You're not going to be like a little child saying, no, daddy, don't spank me. Sorry, the spanking's coming. It's done in love, and it's done to bring about righteousness, but you're going to get it. All right, this is the issue at hand. That's why I'm trying to tell you all, don't drift, don't neglect. Now, it's confirmed Verse 3, how shall we escape? You won't. You, you won't escape discipline. You will forever be saved as a child of God, but you won't escape the discipline. That's Hebrews 12. If we neglect so great a salvation, you know, this requires, your salvation requires all of your attention, your spiritual growth, your maturity. Don't take it lightly. Don't just go years and years and not grow. Don't go decades and never learn the Bible. Don't go decades and never pray or pray together as a church. Just don't let it happen. You've you got to give the most earnest heed to these spiritual truths. Well, this, this gospel, this great salvation, was at first 
uh, spoken by the Lord. He said many times, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer at the hands of wicked men. I will be crucified for your sins and rise from the dead. It was confirmed by the Lord Jesus. Now we've got Jesus' word and the angel's word. Was the angel's word steadfast? Yes. Is the Lord's word steadfast? Yes. Yes. But it was also confirmed to us by those who heard him. There was a first generation of followers of Jesus, and now the writer of Hebrews is a second generation. They heard the gospel from people who heard it from Jesus. Jesus, that first generation, and now the writer of Hebrews. And guess, oh, guess where we are? We're 43 generations down now. It's Jesus, the the first group of disciples, the next generation, next generation. We are only 43 people separated from the word of Lord. The word of the Lord. That's it. That's not many. 43 people. You can fit them in this room. Easy. All right? Of course, it was over 2,000 years, but but you get the idea. Um, Verse 4, God also bearing witness. He gave us a witness that the word of the Lord... The, the New Testament is true. We need a witness with signs and wonders. We have Jesus as a witness. We have the apostles. And the apostles performed signs and wonders to confirm the message. Hey, everybody, just a quick side note. Do you know why, most, do you know why churches that are full of the signs and wonders movement, the, the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement, um, their use of signs and wonders is to alleviate suffering? You're sick, let me heal you. I want to alleviate your suffering. In the New Testament, the signs and wonders of healings and all sorts of miracles were not to alleviate man's suffering. It was to confirm the word of God. You don't hear that taught, but it's biblical. Okay, so the apostles could verify their word was the, their word that they were speaking came from the Lord through these signs and wonders and these miracles, various gifts of the Spirit according to his will. Okay, well, there you go. That's the warning. Was that clear enough? All right. I hope it was all done in love because it really is loving. Because I got the same issue with my heart. I don't want to drift in my heart, and I don't want to neglect such a great salvation. Now let's deal with this great salvation. Let's go to verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak. This world to come is the millennial kingdom. Who's going to rule the millennial kingdom? It is not the angels. It is Jesus who's going to rule the millennial kingdom. Jesus and mankind is going to rule, not angels. So we're back to angels. Verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, the future millennial kingdom, of which we speak. That was all in chapter 1. Jesus is appointed heir of all things. Uh, His uh, kingdom is verse 8 and 9. Your throne is a throne of righteousness. We've already heard about the millennial kingdom. Um, He has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. So don't be worshiping angels, um, but you better listen to the the Lord Jesus because he's the one in charge. So now there's going to be a quote from Psalm Psalm 8, verse 6. But one testified, David, in a certain place, that's Psalm 8. And here's what David said. Now this Psalm 8, it's all about Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. God said to Adam and Eve, have what? Have dominion and put a kibosh on it. Have dominion and subdue it. That's the, that's the mandate. So this text is about the mandate for Adam and Eve. Look at it. Verse 6. But one testified in a certain place, Psalm 8, saying, What is man? Man is Enosh. That's the Hebrew word Enosh, which is a, a man's name, and it means frail. Duh, like frail, weak, 
not, not empowered. What is frail man that you are mindful of him? What are these weak little creatures running around, these little bipeds running around that God would think about us? He is a great and awesome God, and we're, we're skeletons with some t- sinew and tissue and flesh and warts and blemishes and loss of hair and, and weak, frail creatures running around. Why does God in heaven look at us and even think about us? Um, when, when you're walking down the sidewalk on a summer day, do you think about the ants? No, you just, they're, they're just little creatures. You just step on them and move on. You don't like, oh, look at the little ant. Oh, look, I don't want to step on it. Oh, look at this. You just like walk and you're just, if you crush him, you crush him. But God, he looks at frail man and thinks about us. And then he goes on, or the son of man, this is Adom, Adam, meaning of the earth, red, um, or the son of man that you take care of him, that, that God, he, he visits us and cares for us. He meets our needs. Why? He goes on to say this, verse 7. You have made him, Adam, and mankind a little lower than the angels. It doesn't mean like angels are here and man is a little lower. It means man is lower than angels for a little while. It's God, angels, and man. And man, for a little while, just for a little while, it's been 6,000 years, for a little while, mankind is lower than the angels. We are. Angels are powerful. They can do all sorts of flyy things, and they can do things that we can't do. They're invisible. We're visible. Like, we're, we're, we're made lower than the angels, but for a little time. What, what does that mean? It implies someday we're going to go above the angels. This is the great salvation that we're talking about. Are you with me, everybody? You have made him, Adam and Eve and all of their children, lower than the angels for a little while. You have crowned him with glory and honor. How did Adam get crowned with glory and honor? Here's how. God said to Adam and Eve on the day of creation, when they were created, you, can have, you will have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle. You will, have, you will be able to subdue all of this world that's being crowned with glory and honor. Adam and Eve, as in the Garden of Eden, were crowned with glory and honor as, as really vice regents of the one true God. That's glory and that's honor. So we're talking about the Garden of Eden and the mandate over creation. You have set him over the works of your hands. God gave Adam and Eve and all of mankind responsibility to rule this world in righteousness. You have put all things, all things regarding the earth, not the angels, but all things regarding the earth, under his feet. So that's, that's the Garden of Eden and the mandate I read out of Genesis 1. Are you all with me? Look at the rest of verse 8. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. Adam had the rule over all creation. Not the angels right now, but all creation. All the rest of creation. All this this stuff down here. Ah, look at the end of verse 8. But, but, now, right now in 2024, and actually since the fall of man, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. Isn't that true? Since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we don't see, man doesn't have rule of the world. We build spaceships to try to conquer Mars. We've not conquered Mars. We've tried to conquer the moon. We haven't even conquered the moon yet. 
Um, we try to conquer the plant life. We can't. You know what's going on right now? Earthquakes. We can't stop them. Volcanoes. We can't stop them. Hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, and famines, and ice ages, and global warming, and global cooling, and problems with the sea, and problems with the land, and problems with the fresh water. The sun's too hot. The sun's not hot enough. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's nine below. It's 80 above. It's 90 above. It's, we can't control any of this. Do you all agree? That's the issue of the fall of man. So we, so we don't see the creation under our authority. We lost it. Whose authority is it now? Satan's, the devil. So that's what verse 8 is all about. We don't yet see. Now, one day are we going to see man ruling over this created world? Yes, but through who? Jesus. So this is where we're headed, everybody. Verse 9. But, whoops, sorry. But we see Jesus. Yeah, I don't see us ruling this creation very well. As a matter of fact, we're doing a terrible job, thanks to our politicians and global climate change and jets with lots of fuel. I mean, we just don't get it, you know? But, but here's what we do see. We do see Jesus, who's, who we're going to hear about right now. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He was made lower than the angels for a little while. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the God of heaven in human form then took a, took a form lower than angels, but just for a time, some 30 years. Because then what happened? Well, let's keep going. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? What's this great salvation about? For the suffering of death. He came to suffer for us because in that way, he can take over the world again someday. Since God appointed it to Adam and Eve and they lost it and the devil got it, somehow God has to get it back and it's going to come through God becoming man and suffering a death for it. That's how he's going to regain this last authority. Jesus, he suffered. That's his cross as he died for your sin and mine. He was crowned with glory and honor. Notice the same wordage as Psalm 8, but that's his resurrection and ascension that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. The only way for God to reclaim this planet and get it out of the clutches of Satan is for God to become flesh suffer a death, be crowned with glory and honor, and taste that death for every man and woman. Praise God. Do you see what a great salvation that is? Jesus not only paid our sin and rose from the dead, he is going to reclaim the entire earth and give it back to mankind. He will be the king and will be his rulers with him. Kind of back in the Garden of Eden days. Do you understand what a great salvation this is? It's not like I just get to go to heaven and then I'm going to play cribbage the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. I get every Friday night to play cribbage. I mean, it might sound fun if you're a cribbage player, but, but our salvation is greater than that. Christ is going to take this earth back in the millennial kingdom and we get to rule and reign with him. How dare we neglect such a great salvation? How dare we drift from this? And play our own little games and say, who cares about the future? Who cares about the millennial kingdom? Who cares about rewards? How dare we neglect such a great salvation? Because if the angel's word proves steadfast, then if Jesus tells us and we don't follow, he's going to discipline us, and that spanking might hurt. I'm just telling you, don't get spanked. All right? I'm just telling you, God will discipline you if you can, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, set a different direction. There you go. Praise God. Well, let's keep going. Oh, by the way, the end of verse 9. He does taste death. He experiences death on behalf of the entire human race. 
all the people of the world. So Jesus died for everyone. Verse 10. For it was fitting for him, this was part of God's purpose and plan, for whom are all things. Jesus is the goal of all things, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. He's not only the goal of all things, but he's the cause of everything. He's the creator. It was fitting for the one who everything consummates in and the one who created everything. So he's the end of everything and he's the beginning of everything. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory. Now here's where I'm going to end. I'm going to end with this thought. Then we'll pick it up tonight before the, end, the annual business meeting. Can I tell you about the great salvation? Not only does Jesus become man, he dies for our sins so we could go to heaven and be, be right before God. He rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. He, he's going to reclaim this earth for himself and he's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. He is going to share future glory with you and I. When we get to the millennial kingdom, how you served in the local church, how you spent time in the word and prayer will be reflected in the ruling and the glory in the thousand years. Today, I'm telling you right now, set yourself up with humility and love for Christ so that you're doing something in the millennial kingdom. He is bringing many sons. He's going to share his glory with us. That is astounding. He not only gives me eternal life, he's going to share and bring me into his glory, into his ruling and reigning, into, in, into such a great salvation. It was fitting that everything belongs to God and is going to God, that he might bring many sons to glory. And then he says this, to make the captain of their salvation, the author of our salvation. The, the one who leads out in front, um, perfect. Jesus is going to be the completed God-man by suffering. He was perfect. He's always been perfect, Jesus is. The one thing Jesus hadn't done for us is suffer. So to be the, the perfect substitute for us, he would have to suffer, and it was fitting that he would be made perfect and the fitting leader for us by his death and resurrection. It's not saying Jesus isn't perfect, but to be the perfect man that, or to be the complete one that we need to take us out of sin and to give us this earth back, it's going to require his death and resurrection. He's going to have to suffer. And then verse 11, for both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and I, we're all of one. There's such a union with Christ, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you know that Jesus is not afraid to say, I am the God of Brian and Melissa? That's humbling. You know, what is God called in the Old Testament? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know anything about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Were they such great characters all the time? No, they had a lot of failings. And God was not ashamed to say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Today, he's like, I'm not afraid and ashamed to call myself the God of Faith Baptist Church. Wow, he's identifying with us. It's almost like we, we're his last name. It's, it's, it's actually a, a thing of honor. And Jesus is not ashamed to call us. Even though we're so imperfect and we go contrary and we drift and neglect, he still is not ashamed to call us his brethren. And he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. All right, we're going to, can we just finish with verse 13 as well? Verse 12 is from Psalm 22. Jesus is declaring the name of the Father to us. And listen, all right, 
not seriously, 60 seconds and I can be done here. Um, right every time we gather together as a church and we sing praise to the Lord, it's like Jesus is in our midst. Although bodily he's up in heaven, it's like he's right here singing praise to the Father with us. When we sing these different songs, Christ, our hope in life and death, he is with us singing praises to the Father. It is so, what an awesome thought that Jesus is right here in our midst, praising the Father. I will declare your name to my brethren. I, Jesus, will declare your name, Father, to these children down here at Faith Baptist. In the middle of their assembly, when they gather together, Jesus is singing praise to his Father. And again, from Isaiah 8, I will put my trust in him. And again, here, I, here am I and the children whom God has given me. All right, that's Isaiah 8. It was some of the darkest days of all of Judah. Judah was going into captivity. They were dark days. There was a wicked king at the helm, all sorts of idolatry and faithlessness and wickedness. And Isaiah, God says to Isaiah, who will go with for me? Who shall I send? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. Now he has two children. Anybody know the two children? Isaiah's one son is called Shir Yazub. Shir Yazub. And that means um, a remnant will return. God is always going to have a remnant of his people on earth. And then the other son, Mahar Shalel Hashbez, means speed to the booty, speed to the spoil, hasten to the booty. Oh, such names. But the, the, listen, when God says, hey, who will stand for me? There's nobody else that's going to stand for God in those days. It was so dark. And yet Isaiah stands with each child, one in each hand, and he says, Lord, here I am, and I have two children with me. They will live in a dark world when everybody turns against you, and they will love you and sing praise to you. Jesus is here right now holding your hand because you're here this morning, and he says to the Father, Father, this USA is dark. They are morally corrupt. They are rotting from the inside. It's a wicked place with a wicked government doing wicked things, as is all the nations of the world. And yet, here I am, Jesus says, and my children... Faith Baptist Church with me. We're going to stand against the darkness. We're not going to drift. We're not going to neglect. We're going to follow the captain of our salvation, the author of our faith, and we will keep our eyes on him regardless of what the world does. Isn't that pretty awesome? So that's, now can I tell you, is that a great salvation? Jesus didn't just pay your sins and that's it. That's all, you know, it's kind of like you get a free dinner up in heaven. You know, wow, you got a free dinner. Way to go. You made it. But it's like, we get saved from our sin, we get the righteousness of God, and then we rule and reign with Christ in glory forever? How dare we neglect that or drift from that? You know, after studying all of this and preparing it for you, I was like, Jesus, you are so great. You are, what you have done is beyond my understanding. I just am getting glimpses in the text, but I, I know, the, I know the, the path that you took. And, and whatever, Lord, whatever years you give me on earth, may I just be steadfast. May I be walking with you daily. I don't want to neglect. I just want to be a, a young man, a middle-aged man, who, um, who loves you and will serve you. No matter what the world does, it's Jesus holding my hand saying, Father, here I am and a child with me. Will you join hands with me and say, Lord, we will follow you. We'll, look, we'll be in your word. We'll follow you. And again, that's not, you don't earn salvation. It's a free gift. But as children, listen, don't drift, don't neglect. 
follow him. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Hebrews 2. We'll finish it up tonight. And I pray, Father, even this afternoon, all of these verses will resonate with um, our congregation, with all the people listening, that, that we might be not only warned in those first four verses, but we might just comprehend what a great salvation. We think of all that Adam and Eve lost, all of the dominion and subduing and treading upon this earth that they lost in the fall. And we're trying to regain it bit by bit with plants in our house and animals and zoos and spaceships that go to Mars and Pluto and voyagers that go who knows where in, in the Milky Way. We're just trying to, we're trying to get a hold of what we lost, but we'll never do it. We need Christ. He came. He paid our sin. He tasted death for every man and woman. And then he gives life to those who believe. But he is coming back. And he will bring many sons and daughters into his glory to rule and reign in the kingdom. I pray this body here would be faithful. That is what is required of them. Not success. You're not asking success from these people. You're asking for faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 4 says. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 4. But Father, um, may we be faithful and may they receive a great reward as Jesus comes and enters his kingdom someday in the future. Oh, remind us of these things for 2024 in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or if you uh, even would like to be saved and you're not, just come and see me. I'll be glad to talk with you or somebody else would. God bless you, faith family. Remember, 5 o'clock, we'll go through the play for the day in Jerusalem. If you're interested, you don't have to do a speaking part. Just come and listen and be a part of it. Um, And then 6 o'clock tonight. God bless.